0: Welcome to the Culture Careerland Podcast. My name is Lucas uh, and you're listening to another episode of Two Dudes talking about third culture kids and adults and mental health. And I'm here with my host today, uh, Eugene, and we have a special guest and I will let our said guest introduce himself.
1: Awesome, well glad to be here. Thank you both for having me on. My name is Josiah Maycumber. and I've had the pleasure of knowing Lucas for a couple of years now, and meeting Re- Eugene recently. So excited to be here and uh, have a good discussion today.
0: Um, yeah, we have known each other for a couple of good years, and kind of met on and off. I would say kind of randomly because wasn't it, wasn't really expecting you to move over to the Virginia Beach area, yeah. Um, especially after going to Liberty, but yeah, a lot of good connections here um Josiah can you tell us a little bit about because this this is the podcast we focus on third culture um experiences and we also talk about mental health as well um can you tell us a little bit about yourself in terms of you know that dreaded question like where are you from or at least where did you grow up or some of the experiences that you do
2: have give us a little rundown of the countries you lived in and your traveling experience
1: yeah, I can do that. Uh, Lucas, you've very you've described it very well. It's I don't know if it's a dreaded question, but it is a complicated question for sure um, when people ask you randomly, where are you from? So I was born in upstate New York in a little town called Oneonta, if anybody's ever heard of it. And then uh, when I was six years old, we moved from New York down to Ocala, Florida, the horse capital of the world. And we lived there for another five to six years. Um, My parents got involved in a Baptist church there and felt the call to be missionaries. And so we went with the International Mission Board to, first they do like a training thing in uh, Virginia. So we came up here for a couple of months, did training, and then we moved uh, to Costa Rica because my dad needed to learn Spanish. We were going to a Spanish speaking country. He did not speak Spanish, uh, but my mother did because she's Puerto Rican. So she already had the advantage speaking Spanish and we knew a few words but primarily words that were like you're in trouble and things like that Um, so we also needed to learn Spanish so we moved to Costa Rica when I was in seventh grade and I spent a year there learning Spanish going to school um, and then we moved from Costa Rica to Guatemala which is where I did eighth grade until I graduated from high school and moved from there to Lynchburg, Virginia to attend Liberty University, which is where I met Lucas. Uh, and then I finished my undergraduate degree there, moved to Gainesville, Florida um, to attend the University of Florida for my master's degree. Did that, and then I moved back to Virginia Beach, which is where uh, Eugene, Lucas, and I are all uh, have all met again uh, through random circumstances. And I work here now, and my wife is attending law school at Regent University. So that's kind of the brief synopsis of where I've been over the last couple of years. But when people ask me, like, where's home or where are you from, I typically say Guatemala because I think that was the most formative uh, of my years. Right? Like I was, mm-hmm. I, I was, you know, kind of learning about the world, who I was as a person, and you're a teenager. So those are like those are just memories. There, that are a lot easier to draw back to. Um, and then it was also kind of one of the longer periods that we lived in a place. So that's definitely
3: where I would consider home.
2: How old were you? What age range were you when you lived in Guatemala?
3: Yeah, so um, I wanna say like I was
1: 12 um, when I moved there and then 11 when I was in Costa Rica. Um, so 12 to 17 is when I was in Guatemala. I came to the US at 17 for college
3: um so yeah. nice so
0: costa rica was basically like um kind of like a stepping stone where you guys you and your family just learned spanish for that m- the majority of the time there
1: <laughs> yeah i mean i that was the primary like reason that the organization sent us there so that my dad could learn the language but i Because my mom did not um, need to go to language school, she was out doing ministry uh, activities at the time. So she uh, was one of the things that she was very involved in when we were on the mission field was working with um, people in Costa Rica and Guatemala to kind of get local churches there to think about not only receiving missionaries, but then also being able to send out missionaries into the world. Because there's a lot of places that they can go that they would be more widely accepted than people from the U.S. would be. And so that was something that she was very passionate about and she spent time uh, doing there. And she actually just got back from a trip to the Middle East where she had uh, met up with Costa Rican missionaries that were living there, um, who she had like six years ago when we lived in Costa Rica. We had gone to church together, worked with them and and knew their family really well. And then they eventually uh, are now on the mission field. So that was um, kind of like what else was going on during that time. we were involved in a church. We were teaching English um as best we could um, at the time. and then, but yeah, primary goal, learn Spanish so that we can communicate with everybody.
2: Nice. nice. did you guys go to San Jose?
1: yeah, so we yeah. we lived in a suburb of San Jose called uh, San
3: Francisco de los Rios. Um, and that's where the the language school is
2: yeah, i think my I think my parents went somewhere there, too. I wonder if it's the same place. What was that like yeah. moving to a different country the first time?
1: The first time, um, it was like a big adventure, honestly. Like, I don't remember it being too traumatic. I was primarily excited about it. Like, uh, as a kid, I had already moved from New York to Florida and then um, kind of gotten used to moving schools a lot as well. So even when I was in the U.S., I think that I probably went to like four different schools um, until seventh grade. And so I was used to making new friends, like maintaining old friendships. And then this was just like, you know, that experience, but on steroids, because (laughs) like there's a lot of people who don't speak the same language, but at at the at the same time, you go to a missionary kid school. And so then there's a core group of friends that you have who are in the same exact boat as you, which makes it a lot easier to like be like, okay, like I'm not alone in this. There's people who they don't speak Spanish either or they've been here for a year and now they speak some Spanish and they have friends outside of the language school. So there was like a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but yeah, I would say primarily like I looked at it as like a big adventure and it was really fun to go. And even on the street that we lived on in Costa Rica, there were several other missionary families. So in the evenings we'd all go out in the street and play together, play soccer, uh, go to the local park and, and just hang out. So it was a ton of fun.
3: Nice.
0: I like that. So really, based on all the previous moves, like from New York to Florida and also like moving from one school to another, which I would say is probably more common for kids to just like moving from different schools is already a big change. So it sounds like you were able to kind of handle those changes pretty well and also have like a very positive spin of like, I'm going on an adventure and we're going to have yeah.
1: fun. <laughs> I mean, and it, and it, It was fun, like, you know, going and and getting to see some of the things that we did and do the things that we did, like we're were awesome. Um, Like you go to Costa Rica and it's like kind of like a rainforest in a lot of parts of the country. There's volcanoes, there's beautiful beaches. And so it's like, wow, this is so cool. And, you know, you're a missionary, so it's not like you're getting to go to the nice resorts, but you still get to go and see those places and like experiencing experience it. you know, because like nature is free. Um, so you can still go to the beach, even if you don't get to stay at like the five-star resort. So it was definitely, um, an adventure. And I don't remember if like, I, that. that's probably a better question for my parents. Like I'm sure that there were hard moments where it was very difficult to adjust. Maybe like, wasn't getting along with friends at the time or whatever it may be. Um, but maybe it's just one of those things that when you look back at memories, you always just remember the best moments instead of the the harder things that happened while you were there. Um,
3: But yeah overall very positive
2: that's awesome and it sounds like doing sports was an avenue to be able to connect with other kids as well
1: yeah yeah so that was a a big one like even when i lived in the u.s like i was always a very competitive kid and so then i went there and and i had played soccer in the u.s but obviously it's like that it doesn't it's not quite the same because that's like what everybody like breathes in in south america and latin america (laughs) So then I got there and I was like, oh, we're playing soccer like every day. And it's like the main sport that we play. And so I got used to it and learned. Um, and then we're kind of regardless of what language you speak, like if you can say pelota or even if you say like yeah. ball, ballon, like you can you get, get enough across that's like, okay, like pass me the ball, you know, or whatever it is. And, and it's a bunch of kids running around having fun. And then at the school that I went to, um, like a group of the old older missionary guys would play basketball um, on different nights of the week. And so I would go out there and play with them and get to hang out with some of the adults. And And even that was fun because I, I would go do that with my dad. So it was a fun thing that we would do together and kind of bond and and then, you know, walk
3: home and maybe grab like an ice cream or something on the way home. Yeah,
1: I
0: like that. That also makes me kind of like reminisce on some of the moments that I had in Germany where they also breathed soccer. I don't think to the same extent though, because there were a lot of other sports, but like we would go play cage soccer, uh, in a cage and you just play with all the neighborhood kids until it was time to go home for dinner. Yeah. Um, I imagine was it was like the same thing in terms of like playing cage soccer or.
1: Um, in the part of the city that I was in, we didn't do that. Like I'm aware, um, I'm aware of it. Like, and I kind of know like what that vibe is like, but we didn't really have that like infrastructure in our part of the city. So primarily like for us, if it was not at school or at a park, it was like just on the street. Like we, there's all these little side streets. So we would just like set up two bottles and then have like a little plastic ball or something and just like play and play and play and play for, for hours. Um, And, and then, But if it wasn't on the street, then there were parks. So all within like, I think five to 10 minutes walking of our house were like two or three different parks. And all of those had like a cement court and then kind of fields. So if you wanted to play on a field, you could go and do it there. Um, But not as much like I think I've I've seen like pictures and videos of like the cages in Europe, and it's not as much that environment where it's like closed in, there's like walled, it's walled off. It it was a little bit more
3: uh, open.
0: Sounds like a it was a lot more open in terms of that.
3: Yeah,
2: We're <laughs> We're like still a ton of
1: Yeah,
2: you're just like finding objects to put mark the goalposts and whatnot. Yeah,
1: yeah, and which is why um I'm very adamant that soccer is the best sport in the world because it's so accessible. <laughs> you know, you're like it's, anyone can do it. Yeah, if you, I mean, there's so many times that you play with like somebody takes off a shoe and somebody else takes off a shoe or something, and those are are the two markers for your goal. And then you know, as long as you have something close to round you're good to go and then you know you know what i mean you can make a, a soccer ball out of pretty much anything
2: and were these with kids that you didn't know you just find on the street or in the park or they're like a group <laughs> of kids that you'd play with regularly or adults in, Co-
1: in costa rica when i was playing soccer um it was mostly like there were a couple other missionary kids um on the street so we it would start out with like us because we knew each other and we would like ask our parents okay like, hey, can we go play and we would go do that. But then there were just like local kids that lived on the street that we would start playing with more and more. And you get to see people um, just being out on the street every day. Like you kind of recognize like, oh, this person lives on my street. And like, so you start saying hi and and that sort of thing. Um, and then in Guatemala, it was definitely a lot more organized. Like I played for my high school um, when I was there. And then I would also go to um, like kind of like a club um, in the in the afternoons after... Uh, like club soccer um, to go. So I would have high school practice from 3.30 to like 5.30, go home, eat dinner. And then at seven to eight, I would go to, it was called like Futeca, and you would go there and play for another hour, do drills, training. And then like, if you're lucky, once a week they would have like a scrimmage. Um, and so I met a ton of, at, at that place, it was primarily all Guatemalans. Like uh, there were not many other Americans there, but at my school, a lot of Americans.
2: You must have been pretty good then to play club.
1: No, no. You like, uh, it wasn't like a club where you had to like uh, try out to be on it. It was more so like, like an academy, I guess. I don't know because you go, like you pay every month to go and play there. And then there's like five training sessions a week. And then like a game on the weekends. Um, and I just, I did it because I wanted to get better. Like I recognized that, Like this is the sport everybody loves. Like I I was falling in love with the sport. And so I was like, the the way to improve is like put in the extra hours. And it was also a lot more technical because that was closer to like the cage football, where it was like turf fields smaller. And so you had to be
3: like a lot better with your feet and not as much open space to run in. Um, So the close control was very important. I bet. I bet. Yeah. So it was like... um...
0: So it was it was kind of like a club, but it was more like you pay your dues, like your mm-hmm. monthly dues, and then you get to come and participate. And you mentioned like if you were lucky, you guys would get to scrimmage on a weekend. What what does that mean? Like,
3: yeah, you find well, because
1: everybody team, always or... wants to scrimmage, you know, like nobody wants to do like five days of just drills, 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 like passing drills, shooting drills, like formation drills, all that stuff like people want to play. Um, so that, that was like always the best part is like whenever we would scrimmage, cause everybody gets out there and you, you, like you score goals, you're playing with your friends. Um, but sometimes like, you know, the coach would say, Oh, like this week, like, we're not going to have time or we don't have enough time to scrimmage this week. Like we need to do like these drills. And so like one week we wouldn't scrimmage. And so the next week, everybody's like, come on, like, we want to, like, we want to play, we want to play. And, uh, or if, if people didn't show up to the game on saturday you know there'd be like consequences it's like no you don't know, could be like scrimmage this week or because he didn't play on saturday whatever it is um that sort of thing
0: okay so it was more like a kind of like a, a team atmosphere like a club team in a sense
1: yeah yeah like to... we yeah would play against other like teams in the area um but it was that was a lot of fun and i did that for a year or two in high school and that was also good Just to get to know more people in my neighborhood, because it was all people kind of within like 20 ish minutes from where I lived um, that would come and play there. So you'd see them around like everybody would go to this taco stand after practice sometimes um, and just like hang out there. And um, then you see them throughout
3: the week, like at the grocery store or whatever else, because you all live within a certain radius. Um, So it was good. Yeah,
2: that's pretty cool. Sounds like. able to really connect and make friends and this transition for you was pretty easy because of sports are you more of like a soccer player then or basketball player Uh, i know you said both
3: yeah so in high school i
1: played like basketball volleyball soccer but that's because small christian school it's not hard to be a a triathlete um and you know there's not tryouts or anything like that that was so foreign to me when i came back to the u.s and people were like I got cut from from the JV team or whatever else, or I didn't make the varsity team. I was like, we didn't even have JV in varsity. It was if you wanted to play and practice, you can come and, and do it. You might not start every week, but you can be on the team. Um, but definitely uh, in high school, it, early high school, I was more basketball. And then towards later high, uh, high school, it was more soccer but because that's what my friends loved. And so that's what I, I grew to enjoy playing more. Um and then when I came to the US, like that's what I spent my time doing. Like I Lucas and I we used to play indoor together and I think outdoor as well, intramurals at at Liberty. Um, but I all four years of Liberty, I would play, I would try to play both, uh, indoor and outdoor intramurals. I never ever signed up for an intermural intramural basketball team at Liberty because those people are serious like those people could probably be like d2 d3 athletes elsewhere uh
3: and i'm not that good at basketball
2: yeah the competitiveness with basketball is pretty different between South. well i guess Guatemala and South America i'd say and like North America uh-huh. yeah and I, and i noticed you said you'd play basketball out with your dad is that right yeah
1: yeah so that was um one of the, my favorite things that we would do together was in high school, middle school and high school. Um, it, when we were in Guatemala, it was every Tuesday and Saturday. There would be guys Tuesday evening from like six or seven to eight um, who would go out and play. And a lot of them were like dads from the school who would be out doing like mission work during the day or whatever it was that was their day job. And then everybody would like say, Hey, like this is the day that we're playing. And you'd get like 15 to 20 guys out there playing pickup. Um, and it, it was my friends' dads, my friends. Um, and so we would do that every Tuesday and Saturday and it was just a great way to spend time together. And, uh, you know, cause we would drive to the game, play for a while and then talk about it on the way home. And like, you know, all, all the different
3: friends that we had there. Um, so yeah, that was a, a fun thing to do together.
0: I, I'm i not sure if I know this or not, but do you have siblings as well? Or are you an only child?
3: I have an older sister. Uh, her name is Kayla.
1: And she is uh, 17 months older than I am.
0: Okay.
3: Okay. Yep.
0: What was the, um, you know, kind of like, obviously it's it's about you mostly, but what was that? Was there a difference in terms of transition between you and your sister? Um, how things yeah. played out differently?
1: I, I think, you know, I don't want to speak entirely for her, but I think that she would largely agree that um, she had a little bit of a harder time than I did. And I think that's just um, like even when we were in the U.S., like middle school is brutal for pretty much any kid. Um, And so I think that you know she just had a a little bit of a tough time in the U.S. And then with all the transitions, it was hard to you know like try to make friends every couple of years, and 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 then your friends leave because that's another thing that's pretty common at these missionary kids' schools. Is like it's almost a revolving door. Even if you live in the same country for five years your best friend's parents might move to like Africa or they might move to Europe or they might even just move to a different part of Guatemala and then you no longer go to school together. So there's, even if you're in the same place, there's still like a a constant cycle of new people coming in, other people leaving. Um, And so I think that for her trying to like establish a friend group, it was a little bit harder. And I think that the, the, the dynamic is just a little bit different between being like a middle school boy who just wants to play basketball versus like a high school girl who is into sports. But I think that dynamic can be a little bit different. Um, And so it was a little bit harder, but she has developed or she developed great friendships in her time in Guatemala. And I think she still keeps up with a couple of those people today um, and, you know, sees them every so often. And there were families that both her and I were very close to um, throughout our time there that we really, really enjoyed. but definitely I think that the transition a little bit harder for her than for her
3: than me. Yeah.
0: No, I mean when you phrase it and when you put it in that perspective, it it makes more sense. You know, as a as a middle school boy, playing sports is is like a easy it's a great way just to like establish friendships. Like when you can be together on a team and have fun and be competitive, it kind of like takes away a lot of the the trouble of like having to make friends or things like that as well, but that Definitely. makes more sense for for you and your family because um, there are a lot of people kind of rotating in and out of the school that you attended. Um, was it mostly just that your you know that your parents' missionary ministry really was doing well and effective, and it just seemed better to keep you there, or I guess the question is how come? other people were rotated out more uh compared to you and your family.
3: Yeah. So I don't know that it's
1: um like it, in comparison that they like other people left more. Um but I think that there's definitely like if there's 20 kids or or 15 to 20 kids in your class at the, the small school, um it's very likely that one of them will leave like either one year or the next year. So for example, in 8th grade I got there, there were like five girls in our class. Ninth grade, there were four girls. One of them, her family decided that they wanted to move back to the U.S. and so then they left. Um, and then another girl came and she, so we were back up to five girls for like 10th grade. Um, five is, is I don't know if that's exact or not, but you know, like let's say five. Um, and then uh, Lauren, she left in 11th grade because her family felt like called to go back to the U.S. Uh, for, you know, I don't, I don't know the specific situation, um, but it was not really about like performance. It's more so um, certain people only like say like, hey, we're going to be missionaries for three years or that they give like a certain time commitment to how long they'll be on the field. And then another thing that happens very regularly is people go back on furlough. So it's like, okay, we've been in the field for three years, four years, we're going to go back to the year for back to the US for six months to a year. And so even if you don't lose a friend permanently, you may just like, there may be a whole school year where your friend goes back to the U.S. And that happened to us in in 11th grade. Well, we went back to the U.S. for six months. And so you miss out on like six months of friendship and school events that are happening back home while you're in the U.S. And then you come back and it's like, okay, I have to get back into the groove of like my friendships um, and what's going on here because I just missed six months. Um, And then We stayed there for five years because um, my dad had like a kind of an abnormal job, I think, and compared to most what most people's perception of missions is. He was what the term was a logistics coordinator. So pretty much his job was all the administrative things so that none of the other missionaries in our organization had to worry about them. So things like visas, housing, vehicles, all of those things he was in charge of. Um, So that when a new missionary was coming, it's like they have a car to drive, they've got a a house to live in, you know, they have everything taken care of that they need to, or if they're traveling or whatever else is going on, he's coordinating visa renewals, all of these different things to ensure that we stay compliant um, with all the different things that are all the different regulations for being on a visa in in a foreign country. Um, So he would go to an office from nine to five and, and over time he... Was doing it for Guatemala, for for uh, Honduras, Nicaragua, Panama. I think Costa Rica, and different countries um, across the Americas for the missionaries that we had in those countries, um, and so it didn't really. There was never really a need for him to move to another country, um, and there was a point where he might have had to move, but that they were fine with us staying in in Guatemala, and then my mom. Her ministry was going very well. That she was doing um, working with like women and the youth in Guatemala. Um, So it never really like there was never really an opportunity um, to leave. And I think that my parents wanted us to be in the same place for high school and at least give us that 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 stability for those those couple of years. And they knew that we really liked it there and we had formed pretty good friendships. So that never really
3: uh, that I remember came into play. Okay.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So just the job there made more sense for the family to stay long-term for about the five years. And I think it's really good to have that stability as well, just in general, yeah. just to have the the forming of relationships. Um, and since it was so good there and, and you had good friendships, um, what was that six months furlough like for you then going back to America and then going back to Guatemala?
3: Yeah, um, it was... I I remember it being good. Um, and I think it was pretty good. Like
1: I came back to the U S and I've, since I was young, I've always tried to be a very loyal friend. So regardless of where we moved, I would try to keep up with people. So when I moved from, it doesn't really apply to New York so much because I was like five years old and don't remember a whole lot. Um, but like from, from Florida, I had two best friends, um, that we were, we've known each other since second grade. Um, This past year, I was the best man in one of their weddings. Um, And last year, when I got married, he was my best man. And so that relationship continued all throughout uh, middle school and high school. And so when I came back to the U.S. for furlough, I knew like I had a couple of friends to come back to because we were coming back to the, the town, Ocala, where we had left from. And so the dynamic like changes a little bit, right? Like we're in high school now. Uh, There's different friend groups, but my really good friend, Tim, I came back and like, I knew that he was there and I knew we would hang out. Um, And even when I was in Guatemala, when I was in eighth grade, like had an Xbox 360, it was playing modern Warfare 2, (laughs) like probably a lot of people were at the time. Um, And so Tim and I would get on like Skype calls or Xbox live groups. And we would, from the time that I was in like eighth grade and and all throughout high school would connect on like a Friday night or uh, like Saturday night and play games. Together and just kind of like catch up what's going on in life, play games for a couple of hours. Um, and so when I came back, it's like not like much had changed because like we talk pretty much every week by by way of playing video games together. So it's not like, oh, I've been gone for five years and there's been this huge gap in like the person that he was and who he is now. Uh, it's pretty much the same person that I'm on Xbox Live with every week. Um, so I came back and I I had great friends to come back to Tim and my friend Zach and some other people. Um, What was hard though is even though I had those friendships, I was in a different part of town. So it was farther to get to each other. And it was like neither of us like had a car to drive to each other. So we had to be very intentional like on a certain day of the week we would hang out and do stuff together. Um, And I was doing like a virtual school at the time. And so I wasn't even in like a school there to make other friends. which made it even harder, right? Cause you're not in a, a new school, your friends back home, you're trying to keep, like I would try to keep up with some of my friends in Guatemala, you know, like message them or like play some games together or whatever else. But it was a little bit hard to maintain that. So a lot of those friendships kind of got put on pause for that year, but I came back or for that six months. And then I came back and spent a lot of time with Tim and Zach and reacquainted ourselves um, being in person for those six months. Um, so definitely, not the easiest to, I think the hardest parts were getting back to the U S and then getting back to the, like the, you know, what's life like being back in the U S at the beginning of the furlough and then leaving to go back to Guatemala and getting back and realizing that like there's six months of things that I have to catch up on being back. Like, I don't know what's been happening in the classes that everybody took the same classes last semester. I took different classes. Um, Like social dynamics, you know, all change all the time in high school. Uh, What's going on with sports teams, everything else you're learning. Um, But in the middle of furlough was, you know, the easiest because you've developed a routine. You're seeing some friends. You're trying to keep up with with friends who are apart. And then at the same time, you're seeing family, which is a ton of fun. Like I'm seeing my cousins, my aunts and uncles and and going to um, churches to go visit them. And my parents would go and speak, or um, like they would ask me to speak to like the youth group or or whatever. And, you know, I was like, why are they asking me to speak? Uh, but I, I did once or twice, um, and so you're meeting new people there, which was was nice as well. Um, but yeah, that was it was a good six months. Definitely a little harder than some of the other
3: things, um, just picking up friendships and leaving friendships.
2: Yeah, that'd be tough to go back home quote unquote after like five years what were some of the things that really caught you off guard like coming back and how did you Uh, how did you adjust like what helped with adjusting
3: so i think i'm trying to remember back to 11th grade of some of the things that caught me caught me off guard i imagine
1: a lot of them would be very similar to the ones that caught me off guard when i was in college when i came back for college um the biggest thing that i always remember is being in Guatemala after like three, four, five years, the way that you introduce yourself to people in like social settings, very different than the US. Um, so when I got to Guatemala, I was used to kind of like, you know, handshakes. And and then I became a lot warmer to the idea of, okay, like when you, in, in Latin America, when you meet a guy, you like you shake his hand. But when you meet a girl and you introduce yourself, you give her a hug and a, and a kiss on the cheek, which is very different than the US. Um, so I think it probably happened in 11th grade, but it, it certainly happened in college <laughs> that I came back and I just, I found it so foreign to introduce myself to people and, and like stick, and then have a girl like stick her hand out and like, give me a handshake. And I, I, I like, and I was going in for a hug. Um, and they're like, who are you? Like, I've never met you before. Why are you <laughs> hugging me? <laughs> you know? and And so that took a while, just getting used to like going into a room and like, Like oftentimes, actually, in the U.S., people don't even like shake everybody's hand, which was uh, when I was in college. uh, Like everybody kind of knew like, oh, like it's Josiah, like this is how this is kind of how he does things. Because when I would go into a room, it's like it felt respectful and proper to like say hi to everybody. Like, hey, Josiah, like nice to meet you. Hi, I'm Josiah. Like nice to meet you. You know, and like go around the room and say hi to everybody individually instead of walking into a room of people and being like, hey, what's up? Like, I'm Josiah. Uh, you know what I mean? Which I think is very much like the the standard in a lot of the U.S. Um, so that was a big, big difference. Um, just introductions to, to people. Um, another difference. Um, and trying to think the food very different, you know, after you get used to uh, like rice, beans fresh vegetables every day. And then whether it was during furlough or during college, coming back and having like cafeteria food uh, every day. And that was a a big adjustment, uh, getting used to that. Um, Another one was, this was specifically at Liberty. And Lucas, I don't know if this was your experience as well, but what was really weird to me was in the Liberty University cafeteria, uh, the ROT as it's affectionately known, people would go walk in, see like an open table. And the way that you would claim a table is you would throw either your phone or your wallet onto the table to like signify this is my table. And then you'd walk away for like 10 minutes, whatever else, go get your food, go get a drink, whatever, and bring it back to the table. And then thinking back to Guatemala, I would never leave my phone like in a public place just on a table or my wallet in a a, a public place on a table. Because it's, I mean... Depending on where I am, it's very likely not going to be there when I get back, um, and and I and we were robbed when I lived in Costa Rica. So it's like you know we were very you, you just get taught to be very aware of your surroundings, know where people are, um, and and that sort of thing, and make like look. And like, I don't know, appear in such a way that you don't have many valuables on you. And uh, if you do, like keep them very well hidden and secure and like always keep things like if you have your phone and you're in a public setting, like keep your hands in your pockets so that nothing is going to get taken out. And so it was so weird coming and seeing people just like throw their wallet under the table very, very casually and then walk away for 15 minutes.
3: And it's there when they come back. Yeah. Um, that was a, a shock to me. How, how did you get robbed? What was what happened there?
1: Yeah, um, so that was seventh grade in Costa Rica. Um, we in Costa Rica, our family didn't have a car, so we would walk to school every day, walk back every day. To go to church, we would have to take a bus for anywhere. Like if if we timed everything perfectly, we'd walk, get on the bus, and be at church like in an hour, hour and a half, like an hour and a half. Um, if we wanted to go to like a very far side of the city or it was late at night and we didn't want to take the bus, we would take a taxi. So every day walking to school, um, I would walk with our, our friend, it was my sister, um, and then some of the other missionary kids and this guy named Ben, who was a missionary kid. And he played guitar in the like the worship team at the, the Christian school. And I think it was a chapel day or a day that they were practicing. So we had walked to school with him in the morning um, and he had brought his guitar. And then we were walking back um, from school with him in the afternoon. And I kind of looked back and noticed like, oh, there's these two guys that are behind us Uh, and then like kept walking. uh, And we were only like a block from where we lived and then looked back again and I was like, man, those guys are a lot closer this time. Uh, And then they like cut across, they went to the other side of the street, came across in front of us, stopped us, like they had knives and then they they like told him to give them uh the guitar and then also um they took my sister's backpack and lunchbox and some other stuff so it was a, a very quick confrontation but they took those things um and then they ran away up and across some other streets um but thankfully nobody was injured we were all fine um and we just went back to the, to our house like told our parents, like, hey, we were robbed. I was, I mean, at the time I was like, oh, those suckers, they didn't get my iPod touch, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I thought I had won because my iPod touch was safe and secure. Um, and then we like contacted the police and like the guard guy who lived on our street and just were like, hey, like we were robbed. And so we gave them the description of the guys where they had run off to. Um, and then we rode around with the cops for a little bit like looking for them and then never found them and uh that was that was the only time that i was robbed my sister had an experience in guatemala but that was very different um and thankfully in both scenarios we were we were all fine
0: were they like older guys or like just teenagers because you guys are in seventh grade so
1: yeah they were looking i mean granted it's seventh grade so if my memory serves me correctly they i would probably put them in like their 20s um but what that means to me now is probably very different to what younger Josiah thought somebody in their twenties looked like.
3: Um, yeah. So, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, younger guys, but definitely very scary. But it didn't really change. Like we still walked everywhere. we were like, oh, okay, just like you know, this is why we have to check our surroundings a lot. And and there's nothing that you can do in that scenario um, to like that changes the outcome. You just give them what they want and leave. And that's what we were always trained and told to do. It's like if you get robbed or anything like that just like give them what they want it's not a big deal like um and so that's what happened
0: is that something that you guys were trained before going to costa rica like through the missions organization or was that something yeah. that they kind of was just like normal growing up
1: no no not so not so much normal growing up in ocala florida um but <laughs> it was yeah the mission organization um like i mean i don't even know i I don't know, like what is common knowledge and what isn't common knowledge, but pretty much they put like our family, they told our families, like there would would be a lot of conversations about security. Like when you go abroad and just like, you know, what to look for, like what situations do you not want to put yourself in that sort of things? Um, And so my parents had to do a lot of that when we were preparing and then we did some of it as well. Um, so like they have very specific policies about like what to do if you're robbed, what happens if somebody gets kidnapped, all of those sorts of things that like go into effect. Like this, these are the people that you call. This is what happens. And the mission organization is great because after we, after we were robbed, um, I don't know if it was that night or the next day. They, I don't remember what exactly like the team is called, but essentially they're like the support team or care team, uh, something along those lines. And they called us, and I think that they were. I don't know if they were licensed counselors or what, like crisis counselors or something, but they were just, somebody talked to me for a long time about like, hey, like what happened? Talk to me about it. Like what's going on or what What did you experience? What did you feel? All of those types of things to kind of like say, hey, like this is, this can be very traumatic, you know, like, and and was very nice that they had that sort of support to have that conversation i actually i don't know if it was on the phone or if they flew somebody in for it like they i think they might have flown somebody in who like came and
3: talked to us about
0: it sounds like member care in general yes
3: that's what it's called yeah (laughs) yes
0: yes member care some mission organizations have that some don't and some have it better than others um i know a little bit about it but not too much to be honest Uh Um, but it's a good thing to have for those type of situations, and so many other situations that could happen too, because um, it can be dangerous, mm-hmm. and sometimes it isn't, and that's a real wonderful blessing. But then some
3: countries are a little bit more dangerous than others, so that just seems to be seems to happen sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it happens, and I mean Guatemala
1: was definitely the more dangerous of the two countries, which is interesting that it happened in Costa Rica, um, but. When I went to the school in Guatemala, people, I think the year before I had got there, or maybe two years prior, a girl had been kidnapped um, outside of the school. Um, and there were stories of, like, friends um, who, like, had been kidnapped. And, when, like I said, when we were there, my sister was robbed, uh, or they attempted to rob her at gunpoint, which was obviously a lot worse than, than knife. knife. Um, but she just drove away and, you know, did not give them the car. So... Good for her i guess very dangerous <laughs> everybody was like you shouldn't have done that but she's here to tell the story
2: yeah it sounds like you had to really learn to be like vigilant and what to watch out for i think that's something that i could really too when i went to south america it's, i remember seeing people leaving their cars not in their garages i thought that was kind of different and definitely like leaving personal items out i that's still kind of worries me at times i'm like i couldn't leave my personal belongings maybe it's different because it's a christian school too but it sounds like that and greeting people was something that you had to adjust with what helped you like pick up on things to look out for like so greeting people is going to be different and like the level of safety is going to be different in some of these countries and i imagine that it sounds like you guys got some education from people that worked with the ministry, but culturally, like, how would you learn these things for someone like transitioning?
3: Yeah. Um, I, the organization was really good about providing some
1: of those resources. So like I mentioned in the, before we even went to Costa Rica, there was like a three month, um, like training thing that we went and lived at at a, like a training place. And we would just talk about like, what are, The social dynamics like in this country what are things that are common and uncommon all that sort of thing and some of them were just like in general about living abroad and then some of them were tailored to whatever country you were going to there were friends who we didn't know like what country they were going to because they couldn't tell us um so they had like different classes but um then when i think another thing that kind of helped me was like my family on my mother's side is all Hispanic. And so I was kind of used to, and in some senses, uh, you know, the greetings or some of those other things. And my mom was able to to speak to some of those things as we transitioned, like, oh, this is like why this happens here, um, or things that are important. And then there was kind of a continual conversation within our family. And then within even like the school, like sometimes that would happen, um, or Another thing that our organization was good about is I think every year we had like a missionary kids retreat that was specific to like Latin America. So all of the Latin American kids would meet up in a place, and we would spend like a week or so there. And a lot of it was just like have fun and get to know some of the other organ like the other kids in the organization. But then, and then a lot of it was very um, like hey like how can we specifically minister to TCKs and missionary kids and you know these are so we would have like sermons in the morning, worship, and then go out and do group activities or have free time. And then in the evening, same thing. Um, and a lot of those conversations did center around like transitioning in and out of being a missionary kid or a TCK. And then even when I went to Liberty, um, when I was getting back to the US and getting used to being in the US, we, I was a part of the, the missionary kid organization there. And so we had weekly meetings and conversations about a lot of these things. Um, And at that point, um, I mean, I'd heard a lot about it, like people continued to tell me, like, you know, there's a lot of transitioning. There's a lot of things you might be feeling. Um, And I was like, I don't know, like, I think I'm doing okay. But but obviously there's there's it was more of like the softer skills that I was not used to, like the greetings. Um, And so I think there were a lot of good structures in place. That allowed me to facilitate those conversations and um, to inform me but before I went abroad, while I was abroad, and then coming back from living in Guatemala and Costa Rica.
2: Sounds like you're pretty engulfed with people helping you on giving information on the transfer between yeah. countries and adapt and know what the cultural norms were.
3: Yeah.
2: It's funny when you brought up the handshake thing. I remember when I was in Venezuela someone basically told me I was being rude because I didn't hug and kiss everyone. And then after a while, I got used to that. And then when I came back here, I remember having to like shake someone's hand. I was like, Oh, this is different. I'm not, I'm not embracing them. (laughs) So I definitely can relate to the,
3: just even greetings and social norms being different. Definitely. No, I, I can't relate to that. I was a
0: handshake or hi, this is me. Nice to meet you guys. That's it.
1: Really yeah. Uh, and and uh I guess that has to do with the type of culture, right, that, that's present in the country. Like probably going to a European country is a lot more similar to, to the US, or maybe even a little bit colder, depending on if it's the part of the US US you're in. Because I feel like the South is a little bit warmer in terms of those sorts of readings than than the North. Um and I think actually speaking of that, Liberty had classes about um I don't know if it was cultures or or what the class global studies was like the class and we learned about different cultures and like you know how respect works in different cultures and stuff. So I definitely to your point, Eugene, I was I learned a lot about it and a variety of
2: different places. And then, and I'm curious, actually, before I ask you this, were you about to say something?
3: Kind of. No, 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 like no. You're Okay.
2: How did? Because you're adopting all these different values, social norms, moving to country to country. How did this shape your identity and shape your view of who Josiah is?
1: That's a good question. Uh, uh, something I'm still figuring out, obviously, um, uh, to an extent, right? But
2: And that's
3: okay. Think, Which is okay, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think um at, at different stages, it would be different things. Like um my attitude, I think, you know, in high school, I wasn't, the best version of Josiah that I think has existed or will exist, um, just in terms of, uh, the way that I treated others or just pride, whatever it was. Um, I kind of was like, Oh, I'm like the cool guy. You know, it's kind of how like I, I thought of myself in high school, like I play sports, you know, like I, I have, I get to live in another country and have all of these really cool experiences and, um, and mission teams would come from the U.S. and and I would get to translate for them and get to you know like experience them. So I had like a, I think it was kind of prideful at, at that point, maybe a little bit. Um, and then I came to the U.S. and I was like, okay, like still a little bit that way. Like my freshman year of college, I think a lot of people who know me well um, would say like freshman year uh, Josiah to even like senior year Josiah, very different people and. Uh, just I, I came to the U.S. and I kind of let loose. Like I was like, okay, I don't have any um, supervision. I can go to parties if I want to go to parties. Like I can do all sorts of things if I want to. Um, and I so I did for my freshman year, and I was very worldly um, that year. And then that tailed off like my my sophomore year, um, and I got more involved in the church that I was going to, um, and actually got joined a small group, started dating. Uh, my now wife, um, and kind of shaped up a lot during that sophomore year, and then even in the last couple of years, um, instead of just being more involved with the church, you know, now it's my, my I've taken my faith a lot more seriously and kind of thought a lot more about um, who is like what was my experience like growing up now, because um, at least it, my freshman and in, in sophomore year, my parents were still in Guatemala, so I would go home there, or like I would always say like oh my family is there, and then that changed my my sophomore year and going into my junior year. Um, and then they were back in the US. So it's like, now technically that's not home because my family's not there, um, but I still feel like that's home and I don't get to go back. So there was a lot of like change in my identity because even during that time, like um, I was maturing, I think a lot as a, as a person like, and, and then also I was maturing in my faith um, over those years. And then, my sense of where I was, you know, like where it was home was changing, and where's my family is changing. Um, and so now I think that like I I'm in a pretty good spot in terms of like I know that my identity is like first and foremost like my my faith is the most important thing in my life, and I I try to tell people that whenever I have the opportunity, um, whether it's coworkers or other people, um, my my wife is a big part of who I am as well. Like I want to be a great husband. To her, um, and constantly trying to to improve in that way, and to be selfless, um, and then the church that we're involved in here in Virginia Beach, uh, we became members uh, over the last couple of months. Have been consistently in our small group for the last year. We we serve at the church, um, and then at the same time, like on the personal level, I I think that I'm still. Uh, I, I draw from like each of those periods of my life. like I still love like, like hanging out with Latinos is like so fun and like having that experience. um and then like soccer, I still love it. I wake up uh, on at seven a m to watch Premier League games whenever my team is playing. You know, I, I play soccer on Thursdays. I still play basketball on Fridays, as you know, Eugene. So a lot of those things have carried over uh, um try to have a good perspective on life and and not take things too seriously uh, and have fun. so. I think uh, in the important areas, like I've um, definitely have a pretty solidified identity. And then obviously there's some transient things,
3: like what am I interested in at the moment? Those things change. But I don't know if that you... answers the question.
2: No, yeah. It sounds like it's been gradual development. And at certain points in time, certain things meant more, certain parts and values of life meant more. And it sounds like now something that you put, versus who you are in God and who you are as a husband. And it sounds like that helps clarify a lot of that question, like, who am I? When you understand what's more salient to you and what you value more. And then, of course, there's other things like hobbies and sports and different cultural experiences that you've had that mean a lot and definitely have shaped who you are. So thanks for sharing on that. I know it can be difficult to answer sometimes, and that's why we ask it. And that's yeah. okay. And that's okay that it, I mean, you're also a growing human being that's learning as, as you experience life. So Definitely. That's, yeah, that's fine that you're still thinking about maybe like different cultural things and how they
3: impact you. I was going to ask, do you
0: ever see yourself going back out uh, as a missionary with you and your wife
3: one day or? Has there ever been a, a talking point? Um, well, I think, I don't know if we would go
1: like explicitly like as missionaries. Like, you know, I, I don't think that that would maybe be our full-time vocation. Um, I think, so my wife is in law school. Um, I work in defense contracting at the moment. Uh, and we both have, we both kind of see ourselves, I think, in the long term, maybe teaching like I, my my wife is a, a teaching assistant at the law school now. Um, when I was in grad school, I taught uh, classes at the University of Florida. And I think we both really like teaching. Um, so I could, what we've talked about is when we retire from whatever career uh, we have in the U S that we would like to go abroad and teach like it probably at the university level and then do missions as a, uh, you know, as a part of that. Right. So uh, spend time teaching maybe doing a little bit of research, but then also uh, a lot of that time is spent, you know, involved in the local church there and doing outreach. Um, and and even that's changed um, a little bit because first when I came to the U.S., I was like, I'm coming here, I'm getting a degree, and then I'm going back out. out I'm yeah. getting out of here. Yeah, exactly. And then I met my wife and that changes things, uh, definitely. (laughs) And then on top of that, law school changes things because you have to take a bar in a a certain location and then you have to practice in that location. So it's um, unlike a lot of other careers where where you are certified, you have to kind of stay. It's not like you can work remotely in different places. Um, So I think that um, the earliest we would get out of the U.S. is like... Seven ten years down the road, and at that point, I think we would still probably be um, in a professional environment, whether that's like international law or like me doing some some form of business in a capacity, um, but still doing missions uh, on like either either by giving or like by an act um, wherever we are. If we do get the opportunity to move abroad. Um, but for sure i think we would both like to you know once we are a little bit older uh or like towards retirement age uh go and teach and do missions
2: do yeah. you know where would you would like to go right now i know it's a little my, early, heart will,
1: my heart will always be in latin america um, but okay. i think that's because that's where i grew up you know like there's a, a love that it's it, it, i don't have that love for you know like southeast asia or for Africa or Europe because I've never lived there and I don't have those relationships. And so it's not like a part of who I am, right? At this point, and my mom is, is Puerto Rican. So I think there's a like a sense of like drawing back there, I think, but I also recognize in a sense that they, that may be a selfish, like this is kind of what's comfortable for me because I speak the language. I know a lot more about the culture. Um, and so I don't want that to inhibit what, where we go because God could certainly call us to any part of the world. Um, and I think it would be incredible to go to any part of the world. I think that just like the first place I think of would be Latin America, but I don't, I don't know
3: that that's going to happen or will happen or even should happen, so.
0: Well, it's certainly a part of who you are in terms of, I mean, that's one part of your identity among so many others. Um, so it also makes sense. That's part of something that could be in the future one day. I, I would never, Negate it. That's for sure. Yeah, I always thought I would go back to Germany. I'm still here. <laughs> I had another feeling, kind of to like round off the the podcast here, Josiah. Um, in terms of everything that you've kind of talked about a little bit of transitioning from several different schools and uh, several different countries, and kind of going through different aspects of that little bit of like culture shock, but like transitioning. Um, for sure. Um, what are some tips or some advice that you would give to younger third culture kids, uh, in terms of transitioning from one country to another or one school to another, probably in a different country. Um, you know, maybe some tips or some things that you kind of carry with you. Like, this is something that is very personal that I've always used
3: that has been helpful. Maybe can be helpful for someone else. Yeah. I think for me, one thing that um regardless if it's international or even like moving around in the US, where I
1: people in my experience have a, a tendency to be a little bit reserved if they know that they're only gonna be in, in, in an area for a limited amount of time. And I think that you like you should disregard that feeling and just kind of be completely present and vulnerable and invest in wherever you're planted in that season of life because you have no idea the the impact that you could have on other people's lives and the impact that they could have on your life if you choose to be reserved and to not you know reach out to people um, to the fullest extent that you may if you just know this is a temporary thing. I think it happens in college. I think it happens in grad school. I think it happens when you move to Costa Rica for a year or another place for a couple of years and you know that that's not your permanent home, but there's no real, there's no such thing as like a permanent home Very few people live in, you know, the same place forever. Um, And then we're not all going to live on earth for much longer. You know, like we have a very temporary period here. Um, So I would say wherever you are, plant roots. And I think for me, that's, that's like been one of the greatest joys of looking back at my time abroad and at Liberty or wherever else when I was moving, is I can kind of point to like friends um, from that period of time. So for example... When I got married, um, my groomsmen were from second grade, from college. I had friends at the wedding from Guatemala who had like flown from Guatemala, which was incredible to me that they would make that sacrifice to come to my wedding for a couple of days in Kansas. Um, And just yeah, people even now that like will reach out to me from high school or from middle school or whatever else. I've got a friend that I met in Costa Rica who I saw him a couple of months ago in Williamsburg uh that he was bidding visiting and so all of those those friendships relationships can be very impactful so don't you know be reserved about it like make friends make deep friendships don't you know just uh just like disregard that just because you think it's temporary would be one piece of advice two would be to similar um but more from the cultural perspective is like immerse yourself in whatever culture you're in uh there's there was there were some missionary kids who just were they were they didn't really seem to be interested in getting to know either the language or the culture and whether it was Costa Rica or Guatemala they would stay in a pretty protected environment and wouldn't really like you could tell like there were people who lived there for for years longer than i had lived there and just never lear- cared to learn spanish or learn it well um and so then they didn't really have any friends outside of like the american school and it's like that's that's, uh, in my opinion, kind of like a waste of opportunity. Like you can make friends and also like a lifelong skill of learning a language and understanding a culture, um, that if you are too like closed off to it, you'll never do. So I think like immerse yourself there, learn as much about wh- wherever you're planted. And even in college, like I tried to do that, like uh, rural Virginia, I, got to know I I worked at a at a bank in rural Virginia and got to know like what was going on and what what do people care about in this area. Um and it was fascinating, you know, like and and you meet some great people that way and and they they give you good food recommendations at the very least. Um, And then
3: I would say those are the two big ones. Um, And then if you are like, I think a lot of people do in some capacity, like struggle with the transition,
1: like some people have it like easier, or some people have it like worse perceptually, depending on their circumstances. But more often than not, on some level, there are people who have gone through a similar transition. So just um, make yourself like, seek out those people have this like harder conversations, be vulnerable with them and just like ask, like, what did you do when you first got here? So uh, at Liberty, it was easy because there were a lot of older missionary kids that would kind of take you under their wing and say, like, hey, like, come play on my soccer team, which is like a, a simple act. But like having a group of guys to go play soccer with changes, changes the game instead of having to randomly sign up for a team um, or even like a family to take you in and like, you know, have a home cooked meal in college it was an incredible thing. So, um reach out to people. Uh, There's a ton of great resources. Um, And then most importantly, in any of those transitions, like you're not alone, you can spend time in prayer, you can read your Bible, you can journal. Um, And then I think journaling would be a pretty cool one because you can look back and see like what was going on. I've got a journal that I kept when I was um, in sixth grade or seventh grade before we moved to Costa Rica. And I was kind of documenting when we were in Virginia, like, Today, I went and played volleyball with my friends and uh, and then like I think like I'll read it and I think like, where is that guy now? And like his family moved to the Middle East and then now that he's back in the U.S. college. And it's like, that's that's cool to see what a younger Josiah was thinking about and struggling with and then seeing how the Lord um, answered it
3: or provided in different instances. So that was probably a lot of things, but uh, those are some of the things that came to mind.
0: No, but they're all very good. I mean, in in a summary form, make roots, like go explore and immerse yourself into the culture. And then don't be afraid to make connections with people because relationships are very key. Um, They can teach you a lot. And um, yeah, and with transitions, there's always many different ways of, of learning how to go with the transition journaling i also agree i have a lot of journals from sixth and seventh grade um those are weird journals when i look back (laughs) at them (laughs) um but fond memories and i'm a person who likes to
3: reflect back a lot um not too much but i do it's it's enjoyable yeah Gene, do you have anything though thanks for sharing we appreciate your insights and the amount of
2: maturity that you've shown, especially with regards to your self-reflection and how you've handled these situations. I'm glad that it was an adventure for you. And that's cool that you're able to build those connections. And for our listeners out there, if you guys have any questions, feel free to contact us. You can write us an email, anything you guys would like to know about or comment on with regards to the podcast. But thank you, Josiah. We're honored to have you on our podcast and learn a lot about you and what it was like living in Guatemala, and how that shaped who you were.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you both for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: It definitely has. And we'll we'll definitely see each other around two, Because I imagine we'll be here in the same area for a little bit longer. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Or yeah. the or the gym. I'll see you at the gym. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: We'll need to go hang <laughs> out. <laughs> oh, we could yeah. all go actually. Yeah, I think that'd be a lot of fun. Definitely. Let's do, do it. A deadlifting. Oh, wow. Lifting workout. Luke, party. Luke is down. <laughs> no,
1: that's not even a competition. I, that's I how I met soccer. Eugene. I saw my him. I too. saw him lifting like three or four plates on the deadlift, and I was like, "Good lord, how's he doing it?" I'd throw my back out.
0: I would too. Eugene's a different. Eugene's a beast.
2: He's built different. I don't know. Man. My knees are pretty bad now, <laughs> <laughs> no. but I appreciate you guys.
0: Well, bye everybody.
2: Training up.